Hello, everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craig Narasala, and yes, Penn State moved to 0-5 last Saturday with a 41-21 loss to Iowa. It's the first time they are 0-5 in program history. Despite all that bad news, we will be having a special podcast for you guys today. Yes, Brandon Musso will be joining me as always, but also we will have frequent mailback contributors, Jack Wint and Aaron Pregman on the show. And the hopes for today's episode is to provide a little bit of fun and, and some really good discussion on what's happened with this Penn State team and what we're hoping for the future for them. And we're hoping just for some good roundtable discussion out of it. As always, please continue to follow us on social media at ForTheGloryOOS on Twitter, on Facebook, For the Glory of Old State, and then you know, rate, subscribe, share the podcast on both Spotify and Apple. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy listening and possibly a couple more of these in the future. So we are joined on today's podcast by usual suspect, Brandon Musso. How are you doing today, Brandon? Doing good today. Um, and then we are also joined by our two frequent mailbag guys. First, Aaron Pregman. How are you doing today, Aaron? Thanks for having us on, boys. And also, uh, Jack Wint. How are you doing today, Jack? Great to be here, fellas. I can't wait to get into it. So... <laughs> We're doing this like roundtable type of discussion, have some fun with the 0-5 Penn State football season that's been otherwise very disappointing. Um, so hopefully, just outside of myself and Brandon, our thoughts, try to get some new perspectives, some new thoughts on this season, and some potential ideas for how we can get out of this mess right now. So I want to start with the two new guys on the pod, Aaron and Jack. What were some of your initial thoughts on this game heading into it? Did you have a prediction in mind? Did you think that they were going to pull it out? What were your thoughts? Aaron, why don't you start with us? So I guess coming into it, you could say that it went exactly how I thought it would probably go. Of course, you know, what they did was come out and look pretty decent to start. Honestly, Levis looked like he had it going pretty good. The running attack looked to be there. uh, And the defense actually looked pretty good too. But Unfortunately, you saw what happened. We stalled out there a little bit, and another frustrating disappointment uh, of a loss for uh, Penn State going forward. Um, I was, you know, very disappointed, but it seems like all the games to me are meshing together because it's just the same mistakes over and over again, the same play calling errors, and it, to me, it's it's tough to watch, but you do it because you're dedicated to the team. <laughs> Yeah, now, Jack, why don't you uh, provide your thoughts on what you thought was going to happen on Saturday and how it kind of played out in the end. Yeah, so kind of the same thing. Expectations have been lowered, which is unfortunate, but that's where we're at. Uh, I've kind of been week to week looking for one, two things to take away from games to build on. Fortunately, this week I found a couple, and maybe we can get into it, but Yeah, it went pretty much how I thought it would go. Uh, I had them losing by a touchdown in that game before it started. And it's just unfortunate that they got bullied on both sides of the ball. It's tough to watch. And, um, you know, they brought me back there in the second half, uh, down by more than 20. And there I am uh, clawing their way back. They're down 10. They got the ball back. I'm ready to go. And uh, just, just, utter disappointment and like I said expectations have been lowered so you know it's it's all about what I can take away from from what I'm seeing so 
unfortunate, but that's just the year we're having. Yeah, I, I think it's you're, you're spot on saying that Penn State got bullied at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and it really showed us the team got more exhausted in the second half, and it, Iowa was able to pull away after a spark provided by Sean Clifford. But before we talk about Sean Clifford, uh, Brandon, you had Will Levis as your player to watch for this game, and he did actually get the start on Saturday. I know when we recorded the preview podcast that we weren't too sure on it. What were your thoughts of Will Levis and his performance? And then, you know, talk about Clifford a little bit and what you saw uh, on Saturday as he came in and replaced Will Levis. You know, I have to say I was pretty disappointed in how he played. I think we knew going into the game that something had to change at the quarterback position, and I think he was the best option. I mean, we saw them get a good jolt from, from him when he came in against the second half against Nebraska, but we kind of saw the opposite against Iowa. I know, you know, he got the legs going early on, but – I guess we kind of – I think we know now why he isn't the starter and the reason is his arm because it's obviously not uh, that ideal of uh, an arm and you can't just have your legs as a quarterback. You need to be able to throw the ball as well. But overall, they really didn't get much done with him and I was just kind of disappointed. I had a little bit higher expectations than what he actually came up with. But I think uh, we kind of saw why Franklin was so hesitant to pull Clifford for him, um, you know, throughout the whole season, really. Yeah, it seemed like that Will Levis really only had one drive in him, and he was able to run the ball. He was able to do it very consistently, getting five, six, seven yards a pop, and he was really dominant against a strong Iowa front. However, it just seemed that Iowa was able to adjust really easily to what his strengths were, and then take once they took that away – his weaknesses were really glaring. So this is for all you guys going into Michigan this week, another really big time disappointing team across the country this year. Who is the starting quarterback for this Penn state team? That's own five heading to Michigan. Is it Clifford or is it Levis? For me, I would say, I think the answer is a mix of both of them. When Levis was pulled for Clifford, you know, Clifford comes in and, promptly throws two touchdown passes. And, you know, I thought maybe being benched was kind of all that he needed to get him back to where he was. I mean, how we saw him last year, which was a pretty decent quarterback. I mean, really good team last year, as we saw. But I think as time went on, it didn't really take that long for us to realize um, that the struggles that he was having were still there. So, I mean, I can't really sit here and tell you that either one of them is, is deserves to start. But I, I think if we kind of mix in both of them, because um, they've both kind of shown us some good things. And I think having both of them at their disposal really helps open the playbook and maybe give them a little more options because they've been so predictable. And, you know, maybe just having those two guys in there will make them look like a little less predictable, you know? Okay. Um, Aaron, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Brandon on that. I don't know if you could pick one or the other at this point. You know, Clifford comes out in the second half. He goes two of three, 96 yards, two touchdowns. And then the next pass he throws is 15 yards over everybody's head, which is what we've seen out of him all year. So, you know, he throws a couple interceptions. The first one was tipped, I think, you know, the, the mm-hmm. offensive line was terrible in this game. So I don't know who you start behind this line. You know, Levis goes 13 of 16, 106 yards. He fumbles three times, loses two of them. And, you know, they, they only he only threw the ball for a gain of 10 yards five times I mean and three of them were you know underneath passes that went you know for 10 yards so I I just don't know what the answer is with this team with quarterback I think you're gonna have to mix it in and just go with the hot hand 
you know, the old Joe Paterno teams and Craig and Brandon, you've mentioned this before. If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. And really, it's not a matter of, you know, they're both playing great. It's who's going to give us the best chance. And at this point, tough luck with both. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like a a baseball bullpen where you're just like, who's going to be the hot hand and who's going to get the outs. And who, in this case, who's going to be able to score and not turn the ball over and, you know, really put this team in a tough position to succeed. Jack, I feel like you might have a little bit of a different answer than both Brandon and Aaron. Who do you have? Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, bullpen reference, we're working with like the Phillies bullpen here. So it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really work. When there's no options to do anything. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Craig, and you said Levis, you know, he, he was dominant. Well, not dominant, but he had a good day running. I go back and look at his stats. He had 34 rushing yards. I mean, visually, I think some of that's because of sacks. Some, sacks some, some of counting. it is some of it is because of the sacks. But I, I'm, you know, the way I watch that game, he's he's a strong runner. He's a good runner for a quarterback. I would have thought he was at least well into 80 or 90 yards, and then maybe with you know with sacks or whatever. But I mean, so even what he was good at, he had 34 yards, and he's not throwing the ball. So. How how can you put him out there? All all you have to do is prevent against the run, and then they showed. All right, put Clifford back out there. They're in run defense. He throws two straight touchdowns. Okay, maybe he's back, but he he went back to two interceptions later, and there he is overthrowing everybody. Parker Washington, he was he had his guy ten yards beat. He overthrew him by ten or fifteen yards. So who out of those two do you pick? I, I don't know. I I know. We've talked about this before, who I'd like to see, and that's that's the young kid, Daquan Roberson. Um, I don't know where he's at, but how do you not go? If he's available, he's not hurt, you're, you're 0-5. What, what's left to do with this season if they're holding you to the normal bowl game standards every year, which is six wins? You're mathematically eliminated. I, I don't know what the, you know, the ruling is this year, but – what are we? What are you playing for other than get your guys reps? And you know, if he's going to be the guy of the future, I don't know why you wouldn't put him in there. But if we're talking realistic of the two, I think you got to go with Levis because your game plan right now is we're running the ball. You know, draw plays up the middle every you know three of every four plays. And I to me, Levis just does it better than Clifford. He's a strong runner. He kind of reminds me of Tommy Stevens, but. Let's not forget, same thing with Tommy Stevens. He he didn't throw the ball either. No. So I, I, it's, it's tough where they're at, and I don't know if there is a correct answer. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. There is no correct answer. Um, you mentioned uh, Roberson. We saw on Twitter the other day that he has not been dressing for these games. So as much as we do want to see him and what he could possibly bring to this offense, if he's not dressing, then he can't play and we won't be able to see him. For me, I think it, I think as much as, uh, you know, he's having a tough year, I think just roll with Clifford. And the reason being is he could run like what Will Levis does, but we also know if he has to, he could throw downfield. As much as the turnovers have hurt him this year, we do know he's the more dynamic quarterback, and he's coming back next year, and Levis is coming back. I would assume that we would want Clifford as our full-time guy next year more than Levis because of his ability to throw. Does that mean that they rattle off four wins in a row behind Sean Clifford? No, I don't think that's the case. Do I think Sean Clifford's going to play extraordinary? 
but I think he is the best option after seeing Will Levis out there for a full half. Well, basically a full game, seeing him second half Nebraska, um, first half of Iowa. But either way, I think it's a really tough answer that there is no good answer to. All right, so guys, let's move on to some of the coaching stuff from this game. Obviously, with a 41-21 loss, the blowout kind of takes away some of the um, hot take world and, and we're not questioning every single decision that possibly happened throughout the game, but what were some things throughout the game that you had uh, scratching your head watching this and, and saying, what are we doing on you know, offense, defense, um, time management, whatever it may be. Brandon, why don't you start with us? I mean, I think it's as simple as play calling. <laughs> I mean, Kirk has just been a, a massive disappointment this year. And I've, I've been saying it all year. Like I've been urging my patience for him, you know, he hasn't had much time to get used to his offense or his players and they haven't much time to get used to him. But I mean, we're almost through five games now and I haven't seen even an ounce of improvement in the play calling. It's still the same vanilla predictable offense that we've seen all season. And I think it's a large reason why they're still winless going through five games now. I mean, believe it or not, the season's almost over. This is not a normal season. It's a shorter one. Um, there's only a couple of games left and, he doesn't really have all that much time to kind of give us just even a little bit of improvement so we can try to feel good about him going into next year. But I think the only thing we could hope for is that a full off season gives him time to really kind of implement a better offense get used to his players and hopefully, I mean, hopefully be a little less predictable. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But I think at this point in the season, we can stop making the excuse that he didn't have the summer season or, you know, the spring camp to get all of his reps in and, and make everything work in practice. We're five weeks in. You've had five weeks of practice. You've had five games where we've had to run a lot of plays. I know there's been multiple games where we've run 90-plus plays. I think that the offense, with, again, nothing to lose, needs to, you know, get a little bit more diversity to Try it. Try something new. Just yep. just anything to, to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Now, Jack, what do you have from Saturday? Some some – head-scratching moments from the coaching staff. Yeah, you know, Brandon kind of took it on that one, the play calling. I, I also said all year, it's the same play call that we, we've been used to. And like you just said, you didn't have a normal summer. I, I get that. But that excuse has to be almost over. You, you can't tell me that you, you couldn't steal a play from some other team. You couldn't turn on ESPN and say, well, let's try this next practice. They run the same plays over and over. But not just to piggyback on that, I'm going to go with Brent Pry. This defense is underperforming. And I don't know if it's just for, you know, lack of effort. If it's uh, – I saw they scored – I forget which touchdown Iowa scored, put them ahead by multiple uh, possessions. But Shaka Tony's just shaking his head. Uh, you know, he's standing there. I don't know if it's just lack of effort, if they're just – they don't care. I don't know what it is, but it, it, I don't I don't see it like I used to with a Brent Pry coach defense. Now, is his underperforming year this year, is it going to trump anything he's done in the past? Because they have been good in the past. Do you give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt? Like I, I've been giving Franklin the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I don't know if he's, he's earned that as much as Franklin would, uh, has earned that. So we'll see. Um, you know, like I said, Brent probably just kind of underperforming, and it, it, it's standing out to me. We yeah, I, I think the defense and Brent Pry are very fortunate that the offense has been 
struggling so much this year because people are kind of forgetting about it. They've had some good moments. You know, we saw Nebraska second half, they played well. Maryland second half, they played well. But at that point, the games were pretty much out of hand. And then also, I noticed on Saturday that these blitzes that Brent Pry is calling are never getting home. And that leaves a very vulnerable secondary. And it could be when we're calling the blitzes, what type of blitzes we're calling, be a multiple array of things. But it's just not working this year. And it's a really cost for concern going forward. And I don't, I don't think we've even seen as many as like he used to run a lot more blitzes than he has this year. I think we've seen it kind of get toned down this year, which I think has kind of been to their detriment. And I think I mentioned to you guys on Saturday, they ran a stunt play with Adisa Isaac and it resulted in a sack. I was like blown away because we have not seen that that much this year at all. And it resulted in a sack. I mean, I don't know. Aaron, what do you have from Saturday? I mean, you guys touched on it with the play calling. I won't go into that because I probably could talk about 10 minutes about it and it would not be good. You'd have to cut a lot of it out because I was <laughs> the whole time. I, I'll just say on that, we're not game planning to get our best players the ball. When Pat Fryermuth is on the field, he, he's been like a ghost. Like, you, you know, I know he didn't play this week, but before that, they're not, besides the Indiana game, they're not scheming to get their best players the ball. You know, Jahan Dotson is right now your best player on the offensive field. And when he's getting touches, you're seeing positive things come out of his offense. He had eight catches for 139 yards and a touchdown. You know, he looked really good. Get him the ball. Make an effort to get our best players the ball. As far as the coaching disappointment for me at this point, I'm going to have to go with Phil Troutwain, the offensive line coach. Um, you know, Penn State running backs, 13 carries for 16 yards. They allowed five sacks, a tipped interception and a defensive line interception that got housed. And the defensive uh, lineman that took it back, uh, Nixon, he, he made them look pathetic. I, I mean, he chewed <laughs> them out of their shoulder pads, honestly. Um, we're not getting anything. There's no pass protection. We saw it with Clifford before. He's, you know, he's seeing ghosts. If you want to go with that Monday Night Football reference from Booger McFarlane, he's seeing ghosts. He's stepping up in the pocket, but there is pressure there. I mean, if you see it, there's pressure. It's the offensive line has not been great these last couple of years, and it is not helping this year at all. I, I think if we could run the ball, the most successful runs we have is out of our quarterback position. Anytime we hand the ball off, it's getting stuffed at the line or behind the line. And if we're lucky to hold on to the ball, it's not good. The offensive line play needs to improve. It's a huge key against these big 10 opponents. You know, if you go up against the Wisconsin or Iowa or uh, Iowa or Ohio state, these guys have top picks on the defensive line every year and it kills them because they're giving up sacks and chunk plays for a loss because of the play of the offensive line. Dude, you, you touched home on everything there. Um, I think the, the one part I found very funny in the like last couple minutes of the game is Penn state needs chunk plays to get back within a possession and be able to have a chance to win the game. And you mentioned Jahan Dotson, huge game. And they have him running three-yard crossing routes. They don't care if he catches the ball for three yards. They can stop him. They're looking to prevent the big 20, 30, 40-yard play. And if we don't have Jahan Dotson run those routes, we're not going to get those. I, I don't know why we're doing that. <laughs> I mean, he showed you that he can go up against top corners and go up and get the ball. The Ohio State game was a clinic for him going up against a top corner. He will be yep. – Sean Wade will be a top – 20 pick in this draft and he will probably be one of the first three corners taken 
he absolutely made him look terrible. He put the ball up for him and let him go up and get it. He's shown you that he is a great route runner. He's not going to blow you away with the speed, but he'll go up and high point the ball. He's a lot like Chris Goblin would do. I mean, we, we have to game plan to get our guys the ball. It's The team is hurt. Journey Brown's not coming back. Noel Kane is not coming back. Those are two difference makers. Play with the guys you got and get them the ball. I will say on your point with, with Troutween, I, I really think you got to give a little more patience to the guy. He's working with what he got, what he has right now. Um, I, I really, I am impressed with his track record, but I think we kind of just need to let him bring in his own guys. Um, Cause I mean, all those, those top picks from Boston college, they were all guys that he brought in. So I think he's kind of working with the guys that uh, Lime Grover had. And I think that they're just not good players. <laughs> So I can I think, yeah, uh, I can appreciate that. It's just tough I to watch. I think man. he's doing I, what he can to kind of teach them some technique, but I don't think it's been um, as ideal as we would think it would be. But just give him a little while to kind of bring in his own his own crew. Yeah, hopefully they can figure that part out. And that's a unit that I thought would be pretty good this year, sadly. <laughs> yeah, right. it's one of those positions that you don't think about in recruiting. Everybody wants the five-star receiver. They want the five-star running back quarterback. When you don't hammer home offensive line, this team, if they can get a solid offensive line, I don't need an elite quarterback. I need an okay quarterback. And they get the four-star, the three-star even, skill players, receivers, running backs, linebackers. They're fine in those areas, but they don't do well on the offensive line. Get me an elite offensive line, they can do it in other they, – they have all the other positions set, but they don't have offensive line, and they haven't had offensive line, if we're being honest. No, mm-hmm. even in their, their top, top couple seasons, 2016, 2017, come to mind, those offensive lines weren't by any means the best units on that team. It was the skill position guys and, you know, the guys in the trenches on the defensive side. So, All right, so moving over to, I think, an interesting question here, and it kind of relates to the mailbag question we got last week where what would happen with this Penn State team if we had a full offseason with Kirk Soraka? But Kirk Soraka is not the only uh, new Penn State coach. Uh, we also have uh, Taylor Stubblefield, new wide receivers coach. We mentioned Phil Troutwine, new uh, wide receivers coach. And then we had to replace Sean Spencer on the defensive line. So out of those four um, coaching replacements that we've had this year, we're going to go around and say what we think has been the most impactful this year. Um, Jack, do you want to start with this one? Actually, no. Oh, yeah, last, know. right? You want, you want to go last, want right? To start. Okay, yeah, Aaron. Start. Aaron, you start. All right, I'll start. Uh, so I think for me, and it's a tough season to find any positives at this point, but if you look at the receiving group and you look at the job that Sellafeld's done, the drop, if you could remember going back a couple, the past two years, drops were a huge, huge problem for this team. And you're just not seeing them now. You're Unless it's just to me that I'm finding all these other glaring issues that I'm focusing on and not seeing. I think the receivers have done a really, really nice job, you know, route running and catching the ball, you know, that's, that's thrown in the direction that's catchable. So I would say for me, receiving coach in Stubblefeld has been a step up from, from what we've seen in the last couple of years. I, I've been pleased with that. Yeah, that's a great point you added about, um, and then that's with, true freshman running around the field and Jahan Dotson. We've seen him take his game to another level um, after being a pretty solid receiver, but he's an elite receiver now. 
So he's somebody you like this year. Who who's been like really tough for us to replace? Well, believe it or not, for a second I almost said Ricky Ronnie. That's that's how frustrating play calling has been on offense. But as Musso said, I don't think I could go there just yet. There's no way. Um, we're missing Sean Spencer on the defensive line. These guys just don't have the juice that guys in the past have had. And it's not for lack of talent. Shaka Tony, he absolutely has the ability to take over a game. We've seen it in the past. And he played very well last game. I will give it to him. He had a couple sacks and he looked good. But it's like he's been stuck in the mud. I feel like these guys just don't have the juice that they have with Spence out there, you know, with the wild dogs and all that. It's You're just not seeing it. The blitzes, when there's blitzes, they're not getting home. They're not getting home on these just straight-up rushes that they need to. It's just been very, very disappointing watching the defensive line this year, and I think it has to do with a lot of the coaching that's going on. Brandon, do you want to add on that? I know you love the defensive line. Yeah, you hear me talk about that a lot, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I also I also think that, that Sean Spencer, we're really missing him this year. Um, like Aaron just said, the, the blitzes aren't just, aren't just not getting home like they used to. And, I mean, even – just not just that, like there's just a lack of push in general. There's just zero pressure um, for any of the opposing quarterbacks. And, you know, we, we talk over and over the past season about how bad the secondary is and like a good defensive line is what helps you overcome um, those secondary shortcomings. And you have to kind of give them the QB um, some pressure, you make them nervous, force some inaccurate passes and, I think that they just haven't done that this year. And that's kind of a large part of why the, the passing defense has been so bad. And, you know, beyond that, I, I think not having Sean Spencer is kind of just having a negative impact on recruiting. I mean, we're aware of the, the 2021 class that's kind of well below what they normally have been pushing out in terms of recruiting classes. And I, I think the, not just Sean Spencer, but the, the coaching turnover in general is kind of um, driving recruits away because they're not used to what, Penn State has had and they're not used to these new coaches that they're kind of almost like a revolving door we, we see these assistant coaches leaving and I think that the that recruits kind of look at that and say you know I'm recruiting to this coach in particular not necessarily a school and I think that's a lot of the case of how you know Franklin and his staff have had so much success but now when you see guys like this lose like leaving then your your recruiting classes aren't as good as they once were and I think you know touching on the energy that Sean uh, Spencer brought to this Penn State football team, or especially defensive line. Um, it's funny that James Franklin, right before the season started, saw, said, hey, we're losing his energy. But John Scott, the new defensive line coach, and Brandon, do you know who the grad assistant is upon the defensive line that is supposed to bring the energy as well? I don't. One of your favorite Penn State players of all time, Deion Barnes. Deion Barnes. Love Deion that. Barnes. But – we're seeing that their energy is not quite matching what Sean Spence brought to left too early. You know the Wild Dogs. <laughs> yeah, Deion Barnes left too early. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of touch on both of your points before we get to Jack's answer. I think in the short term, I think that the loss of Ricky Ronnie has been very, very costly to this team. And the reason being, we see that the offense is so stale. Um, we see that Sean Clifford has regressed with Kirk Sorak as his offensive coordinator and his QB's uh, coach. And that's been a really huge flaw for them this year in terms of being an 0-5 team as the offense is just not there under Soraka. But I think if things get back to normal here, I think that things will straighten out a little bit.
But I think long-term effects, and we're seeing it on the field now, but I think long-term effects, especially on the recruiting aspect of it, losing Sean Spence to the New York Giants is a much bigger loss because we're not, you know, we're not just running a, a program here for one year and hoping that we win one time. We're looking for sustained success that this Penn State team has had since 2016. Spence was a big part of that. And if we don't have him going forward, it provides some question marks going forward in terms of, you know, not only the defensive line group, but the recruiting aspect as well. Um, Jack, you want to get into your answer? Yeah. So I wanted to go last because mine's more of a theory. Um, I could have sat here and said, Sean Spencer, like the three of you did. And I could have touched on that. And it's obvious that we're missing him. Um, but my guy, I'm going to go with, and this is surprising because anybody who knows me knows that I trashed this guy for his entire tenure, but I'm going to go with Ricky Ronnie. Um, and it's, like I said, it's a theory. Now I have an inside source and I won't name names, but a former, uh, staff member who I months ago, and I don't know if I touched on this with any of you guys, but. When I was talking to him, I said, this was before the season even started, and we are talking about how the offense is going to look under the new coordinator, and right off the bat, I came out, I'm like, Ricky Ronnie, thank God, anybody but him can run this offense better. I was tired of the same play over and over. His play calling was terrible. And what he said to me was, yeah, that's, that's true. He, you know, he was very stale, and the same play call, this and that. He said, but one thing about Ricky Ronnie, he said, that locker room respects him more than anybody on that staff as a coach. He said he is the, he was, when he was on the staff, the smartest guy out there on the field for them coaching. And to me, it's just, it's the same offense. They're running the same plays. So what's different? Maybe they got a guy, you know, they don't know what Kirk's all about. They don't trust him. I, I don't know what it could be. But that kind of stuck with me where I'm like, well, if they thought so highly of him. Now, there's no bad blood. Um, you know, they didn't fire Ronnie. He, he left and, you know, he took a head coaching job, which, you know, that's good for him. But it's, it's got to be, to me, it just looks like there's this new guy in here and we lost this guy that we love, even though the fans might not have liked him. We loved him as a coach. We respected him. I, I, it's the only thing that I can think of sitting and, and, and like I said, it's only because somebody close to the team had said that to me that I, I was like, you know what, maybe that's what's going on because it's the same playbook. I, I don't, how could you not remember how to run these plays from last year? If you know, if you know me and you know, I've trashed the guy for years because I, I mean, I would stand in, I would stand in section NE seven times and stand up and yet Johnny needs to be fired. So in no way I can bring him back, but that's just my theory. Yeah, that's a really interesting points you brought up. And I think that looking at last offseason's Twitter discussion after Ricky Ronnie got hired by Old Dominion, a lot of former players, I know Trace McFroy was one that spoke up and said, like, congratulations, and almost kind of saying that he didn't deserve – a lot of the criticism he got at Penn State. And then also we saw um, a former five-star running back, Ricky Slade, enter the transfer portal, and he went right to Old Dominion to play for, for Ronnie. So I think that kind of speaks to the type of locker room presence that Ronnie had. And, you know, we all played sports growing up. If you have a coach that you're really determined to play for, that you run through a wall for, it kind of changes things 
mentally for the individual, the unit, um, the team as a whole. And we're just not seeing the results on the field under Kurt Soraka that as much as we criticize Ronnie, we did see some results. We can't deny that. With those questions answered, Jack and Aaron, since you guys are new to the pod and you, you kind of have a, a voice now, um, do you guys want to supply some closing rants on what you saw, uh, whether it's the Iowa game or the rest of the season, like going forward or the past, what we've seen? You guys want to get into it? Aaron, you want to start us? Yeah, I can start it out. To, to me, it's, and you guys have said it on the podcast before, it's trying to find those little positive nuggets that are within this, you know, tough, tough game uh, to take away that's a positive going forward. Um, you know, the, the criticisms are out there. The, the, I'm, you know, part of myself, a ton of Facebook groups that, that are Penn State fans, and the Fire Franklin crowd is starting to get really loud, and it's starting to pick up a lot, a lot of momentum. And it's getting a little, you know, it, it's making me nervous because I, I don't necessarily think that's the way that they need to go with it. But, you know, you see people that are, that are arguing and saying, well, he's just standing over there with his, his arms crossed and he's, he's not showing an emotion. You know, he's not a guy that shows a ton of emotion when he's coaching anyway, besides the, the Marcus Allen block and Grant Haley return. You know, he's out there getting his guys going, obviously, but it, it's, it's hard to say that that is the one thing that's just not happening. It, I, I just hope that going forward, we, we start to see a better coach team. Hopefully they're, they're hearing some of these criticisms. They haven't yet, but here's the hoping that they will going forward. You know, we got Michigan coming up. They're, they're a struggling team as well. If we go out and we get a win in the big house and we could do it in convincing fashion, I'm not saying I think that's going to happen, but if we could, then, you know, the season's not all for not. We, we have a hard time playing in the big house. We go in there and we start playing and we show them, you know, what Penn State football typically looks like it looks a lot better on the recruiting trail and it looks a lot better to all these people that are out here, you know, not in the program like us that are starting to, you know, get a little noisy about not liking what we're seeing in the play calling, not liking what we're seeing out of effort of guys. So for me, it's just taking away those little things. Hopefully we see a better coach team and, you know, we start to see some Penn state football because I haven't seen it yet. I don't know about you guys, but I have not. No, uh, that's for sure. We have not seen a well-coached team. Now, one thing I, I do, you mentioned the Marcus Allen block. James Franklin does not really ever show negative emotion on the sideline. I think that's a good thing as a coach because if you show that you're flustered, you're frustrated, or you're upset about something, you're the leader of the team. It's going to translate to the rest of the guys, and he does not want that happening. But if you show showing positive body language, we see a different coach. There just hasn't been much to be positive about this year. Um, yeah, and Jack, you, you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean – I wrote down in my note under coaching, and I think you guys all know the four-letter phrase that I was going to write down, and it's give me a name. Yep. As Aaron said, it's picking up steam very quickly that Franklin needs to be gone. I don't see anybody else that we can go get. Who, who's going to come and replace him and do as good or better a job? There's guys you can bring in that are a project, like, hey, maybe this guy works out, maybe – but why would we go backwards? Penn State came out earlier this year in January and said, there is nobody else better available. We're giving Franklin a five-year contract. That's their statement. They came out and said, he's the best guy to take us to the next level. And we're talking about a season that started in mid-October. You lost your starting running back, your backup running back, 
starting linebacker who, by the way, starting linebacker, first round pick, tight end now, first round pick. You have a quarterback battle. So essentially you have no quarterback. Um, you know, all these guys, I get you're supposed to be able to work through that. Um, cause a fourth round program. So you have to be able to turn over quick and get the young guys in there and make a difference. But it's a weird year. They had a little, but not as, not the same off season, different coaches are in there. I think you just got to just ride with this for a little bit, take positives away from the games that are remaining and we'll see you next year. I mean, if, if you're all in five next year, then we have a problem because you didn't do anything to address your issues. But like I said, give me a name. Who, who are we getting? So uh, that, that to me has been the most troubling part is, yeah, I get everybody's frustrated. They're 0-5, but it's a weird year. We don't need to take drastic measures here and get rid of a guy who's he's bringing in, you know, as, as best he can, the, the better recruits from the Northeast. So you let him go, I guess how many guys are going with him? And you're not going to get somebody in here who's going to get you that talent. So that, that's my biggest takeaway from this year is to just kind of tell all the Franklin people to just, you know, give it, give it one more year. Just trust me. Um, you know, if you would have looked back in 2014 and said, hey, in 2020, you're going to have multiple New Year's six hole appearances, you know, 10 win seasons left and right. I think a lot of people would have signed up for that. So I just give it, give it some time. I, I, if, if you would have said last year, 2019, going in, hey, what's your record going to be next year? You would have said maybe 11 and one. If they can get over the Ohio State, maybe they'd be undefeated. But then take away the fact you're losing Micah Parsons. You're losing Pat Fryermuth. Journey Brown's not going to be there. Noah Kane's going to break his foot. You're going to have a quarterback battle. And by the way, you're going to play nine games. So I think everybody just needs to pump the brakes and realize this is not the 11 and one team that was predicted last year. And in the next year, if, if they're all in 12 next year, then, then we can address the Franklin rumors. So that's the biggest takeaway this year is to address those people. And I think what I like is that the administration and Sandy Barber, the AD have not shown any signs of, straying away from James Franklin for the give me a name crowd. Sorry, but I think you're out of luck because I think Sandy Barber really likes James Franklin and he's here for the long run because his track record is phenomenal, not only at Penn State, but at a program like Vanderbilt that is traditionally not a good football program. And he led them to multiple nine win seasons. Um, Brandon, you have something you want to add for your closing rant? Yeah, you know, I'm not in the fire Franklin crowd. I've been, defending him more often than not. And, you know, I'm right with Jack with saying, like, give me a name. I, I think that reigns true more so in college football than really any other sport or any other league that you can think of because, I mean, there's only a handful of coaches out there that are, you know, keeping their team in the top 10 every single year and winning national championships. And let me tell you, they're not available and they're not coming to Penn State right now. So, I mean, you tell me who you think can come in and just immediately bring us to a playoff, like, with the snap of a finger, like people think Franklin's been solid for many years now. And, you know, one year, you know, we have a bad year and everyone's ready to 
to you know burn the ship and I just don't think it's warranted. Um, but as far as this season goes, <laughs> I'm done with it. I'm done with the optimism. I tried to be optimistic last week and didn't work out. I really don't think they're going to win a game the rest of the year. I really, I really just don't. I, I don't see anyone on the team that has plays with any urgency. Really, they don't even look like they want to be there. Um, they're back into that mode where they just kind of feel bad for themselves. They're just moping around the field. No real urgency or even effort. I, I, I try not to say that kind of thing, but I mean, it, they don't look like they want to be there. They're just out there playing just because they have to play. And that is not something that bodes well for the rest of the season. But then again, um, I really don't think this season's lost at this point anyway. So I don't really think there's much more to say. All right. You guys have anything else you want to add to this pod? For having us on, really appreciate it. And uh, long time listener, still will be. And uh, <laughs> go state, I guess. Man, what else do you say? <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure, guys. I uh, I enjoy talking with uh, with you guys and getting getting this all off my chest. It was it was bottling up, and I, I needed to express this to to somebody besides you guys. So hopefully, someone hears this and um, takes something away from it. Happy we could provide that for you. Appreciate yeah, this it. is this this is a safe space. This is a type of intervention. Um, you guys have been great for us in the mailbag, uh, asking us questions and supplying some content for the podcast. And we thank you guys for taking some time out of your busy lives and recording with us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. For you guys, uh, Jack and Aaron, we thank you guys again, and we hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Brandon and I will be back later this week with a Michigan preview. I know that everybody across the country is looking forward to this game um, with both teams having their seasons uh, really go down the tube. So we'll have that for you guys before Thanksgiving. Thank you guys again for listening. See you later.